on, open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me just give you a quick update of kind of how we're going to be moving forward as a church through uh, this process. Starting in July, uh, there'll be no more RSVPing, so you can RSVP for next Sunday. Outside of that, uh, there'll be no more RSVPing. You don't have to worry about where you park, so you can go back to your favorite parking spot if you like. Uh, and, and we will continue to do every other pew, um, and you'll come in and you'll just see the, the pews that are identified for that service for you guys to sit in. Uh, and so starting in July, we'll do that. And starting on July the 12th, on July the 12th in the, this, this service, an 11 o'clock service only, uh, we're gonna start uh, our children's ministry back from birth to kindergarten, from birth to kindergarten. So if you're a parent out there and you're kind of waiting for, for that, birth to kindergarten starting uh, on July the 12th, if you're interested in coming to first service, serving during that second service time, please reach out to Josh. We're excited about kind of moving back. There, you'll, you can get all the safety procedures and protocols and all the things that Josh and his team is doing to make sure that our children's ministry environment is as safe can be, to love on our kids, and, and you can read all of those things. And uh, man, it's wild. Whoever would have thought, but... Here we are. So uh, start back in July. We're kind of kind of moving back toward August. Hopefully everything will go back full, strong, normal, and we will trust uh, that God's gonna work all things together, all right? So here we go, 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two. I wanna take a minute, just quickly remind you, 1 Peter, what's happening. Christians are spread out all over the place, mainly in five different regions. And so Peter's writing to them saying, hey, we are exiles, you're exiles, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. So as a result, this is what it looks like to live amongst your present problems and sufferings and trials. When life flips you upside down, what do you do? What do we do when life comes at us, throws us upside down, and how do we live in a way that brings honor and glory to God in the midst of that? You know, moments of crisis are always opportunities for us to make Jesus known and invite people to Jesus. Now today specifically, yeah, it's a difficult one. Now let me say it this way. What if I told you that one of the greatest ways that you're gonna display the glory of God in your life is how you respond to suffering and to people in your life, sinful authority figures in your life, bosses, teachers, professors, and how you respond to their wrongdoing to you is gonna be one of the greatest ways that you display the glory of God. You would say, don't sign me up, right? <laughs> I don't wanna display God's glory by having to suffer or by having to sit under authority figures who are sinful. But what we're gonna find in today's passage is he's writing to a people, Christians who are going to live amongst the Gentiles, non-Christians, and in the midst of that, they're suffering. They're going through hardships. They're going through trials. They're, you've probably heard the word injustice more lately than you maybe have ever heard it in your life. And they're suffering injustice. And so he's saying in the midst of our injustice, this is how you display God's glory in the midst of it. So I wanna say this from the beginning. Today's text is pretty straightforward as you read through it. There's a few things that maybe could be tricky contextually and I'm gonna break those out for us. And so it might be tricky in a few places, but for the most part, it's pretty straightforward from a text perspective. But I can tell you, it is extremely difficult to grasp. Let me say this again. It's extremely difficult to grasp because I believe it's probably one of the hardest scriptures in all of the Bible. One for me specifically, in my 
own struggles, by who I am naturally. I'm the kid that I cannot stand for there to be any wrongdoing ever. It's before Jesus. I couldn't take it. Second grade, we got a bully happening on the playground. Time to rise up. A group of second graders, baby. We're about to go beat up the bully. Like, I, I couldn't take wrongdoing. I was the kid that if I was getting in trouble for something that I knew I did not do, I would take the beating over and over and over, and I would not say I'm sorry. Because if I did not do it, I just could not stand the idea of there being wrongdoing. I couldn't take it. Now, when I did wrong, which I did a lot, <laughs> a lot, I took my punishment. You're right, I did this, I was wrong, like, let's take it, come on. You know, take it like a man, give me the spanking, just don't put me in restriction. Either way, but, and so I, I could not take the fact that sometimes things are wrong, things aren't right. And we live in a broken world where things are not right where there are gonna be times where we go through things where you are discriminated, where you are uh, wrongfully treated. Uh, I can think of a time, you think of maybe pastors sometimes, I, I think we think, well, you know, pastors get like the favors or the handouts or different things. Well, sometimes it is absolutely the other way around. I can think of an incident here, we, we bought our house and we moved in and not long after that, we had the privilege of going to Israel. It was unbelievable, one of the greatest trips ever. But while we were in Israel, a hurricane that turned into a tropical storm decided to go right through middle Georgia. And so when we came back, man, we had shingles all over the place, falling off the house, whatever, it's call our insurance company. They, there was so much damage and things that they had to bring in adjusters. So adjuster comes in and uh, he comes in and, and man, things are going good. We're walking around the house. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, problem here, problem here, problem. Yeah, 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 we can't fix this, this, this. Yeah, we'll get you a new roof, that kind of thing. And in the midst of our conversation, he says, Hey, what do you do for a living? Let me just throw this out there in case you're wondering. Anybody ever ask me, what do you do for a living? I know. This is about to go one way or the other. The conversation is now changed. It will not stay the same. We're either about to talk about Jesus for the good or this is about to go, it's about to be rough. I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor here in town. Uh, and so he said, oh, really? He said, well, how about that? He said, well, my dad's a pastor, my brother's a pastor, and I'm not. I went, uh-oh. It's about to be one of them conversations. He says, uh, he's like, uh, I think I've seen all I need to see. I can walk around now without you. I'm like, all righty. His hostility began to build up. His language changed greatly. Uh, and needless to say, I did not get a roof. As a matter of fact, not only did I not get a roof, a few weeks later, I found out that he actually accused me of getting up on the roof and taking shingles off myself. Now, if you don't know me, you know my house, first of all, I'm gonna go and just throw this out right now. I ain't getting on my roof, all right? That just ain't happening. That thing's too steep, it's not gonna happen. And there's no way I would ever risk my life or ministry over a few, sh a few shingles. That makes no sense. So now, the Jacob in me, I'm like, oh no, that is wrong. Like at this point, I was like, let's let the roof go. Yeah, whatever, you know, God will work it out, it'll be fine. But at this point, now you've accused me of getting up on the roof? Oh no! Let me just note, Stacy was so tired of hearing about our roof after a year of fighting this bad boy. Because I, he is, you have wronged me. Do not tell me that I've lied or that I've done something wrong because that ain't happening. And so I, I wanted to fight it. This, oh, this injustice was welling up in me. And you have, you have said this and you have done wrong and all these things are going on. They end up bringing out like a, a team CSI ultimately to get up on my roof and like, you know, to go through this thing, it was insane. They get to the end of it and they're like, no, he did not get up on the roof. And I was like, victory, woo! I didn't care about the roof anymore. 
I just wanted to let that guy know. And I made sure I forwarded in the report. Just want to make sure you got this to see I was not on my roof. I knew he had that. But this sense of injustice, it, it just drove me crazy. I, I, it, it, long story short, I didn't get a roof. But then another hurricane came through, ripped the rest of the roof off. And then an adjuster came out and said, why in the world didn't we replace the roof? We should have replaced the roof. We're going to replace the roof now. It ended up just costing us about $1,000 to $1,500 out of our pocket. That was wasted. I was mad. I was angry. Because in my mind, the root of it was he had some preacher issues, and I got to be that punching bag. Now, I wish that I could tell you during that whole process that your pastor thought biblically and handled every aspect of that in a righteous way. But I can tell you, we don't only need Jesus to save us, we need Jesus every day. I know amongst our people, among many of you, you have experienced some form of wrongdoing against you, and, and now you're going, okay, you know what? It, this is not just difficult because it's of our sin nature, but let me just say, I think this is difficult, difficult for us, and many of you that are watching online, because we're American. We're Americans, Americans, we, listen, we are trained. It is in our DNA to rebel. Taxation without representation, you about to lose your tea, bro. This ain't happening. Tea party time, like no way. We are fighting against that. What do we celebrate every July 4th? Or rebellion, however you wanna look at it. Independence Day, rebellion, like no, we are gonna fight for this. And it is literally, we are raised in our DNA. Like my kids are gonna be like, hey, July 4th, why are we shooting fireworks? Let me tell you why, from 1776, we kicked butt, took names, baby. Like that's who we are. We don't take nothing off nobody. And, and, but the reality is that is an American way of processing, yet now here I am as a child of God who lives in America. So now how do I think and process this ultimate freedom that I've received in Jesus? How can I live in this world and not of it Ultimate freedom in Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, if we're not careful, it can produce a pride. It can produce this false sense of empowerment that now we're no longer living in a, a humble, gracious way, even toward people who do us wrong. No, now we've become self-reliant and we've become our own authority. And as a result, Peter is correcting a, a natural but a self-centered way of thinking. I don't know of another passage that just shows how different the gospel is than the way the world thinks. Christians have been scattered, they're scattered all over. And now he's saying, I don't want you to have this spirit of pride or anger or rebellion amongst the Gentiles because they're treating you wrongly. It's gonna happen. So here's how you need to live amongst the people that we are trying to reach for the sake of the gospel. He was giving them this exile's perspective. If they come at us, we're gonna let them know. No, he's not saying if they come at you, we're gonna let them know. He's saying when they come at you, here's how we're gonna respond for the glory of God and because of the sake of the gospel. Some of you would say, well, i tell you what right now, I'll show them who's boss. Let them come at me. I don't take nothing from nobody. Ain't nobody walking over me. And this is a direct contrast to that way of thinking. So here's what he says in verse 11 of chapter two in 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, stop, he starts with that perspective. As exiles and strangers, this is not our home, so that's the context of how he's talking to us. Because heaven is our home, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Let me stop there. You can think that you are fighting for your freedom, 
But what happens when anger and bitterness and malice take control of your heart, it zaps your soul. You're not really free. You're really so full of anger and strife that it's now consuming your mind and your heart and it's fighting your soul and you're losing the true freedom you have in Christ and the ability to worship because of the sake of the gospel, because it takes over. So now what does he say? Verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Christians fighting the Gentiles was not going to lead to Gentiles turning to Jesus. And that's ultimately what it was about. It was about the Gentiles coming to a place where they would bring honor and glory to God. So them fighting was not gonna produce that. Notice here he says, when they slander you. Not if, when, when. You're gonna live so different than them that they're going to slander you. We're exiles, we're different. And for some people, what they don't know and understand is threatening to them. And, and so you're gonna come in and live for the sake of the gospel and that's gonna threaten their way of life. It's gonna threaten the way that they do things. And so you're gonna get accused. You will be slandered and we should respond to it differently, not because of who they are, but because of who he is. So here's how we respond. Let me give you a few things I think we can learn how Peter begins to guide them. First of all, it's about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. Look how he says this in verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Why? So that when they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe the good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let's talk about living this, uh, living honorably. Let's talk about living honorably. He says here that, that because it's about the glory of God, now we choose to live a life that is honorable. Not because of anybody else, but because of who God is to us. What, what, what do you do when you're surrounded by people who slander you because you live and believe differently? He says you live honorably. You, and not only do you live honorably, you do this with good works. You say, well, you don't understand. People say this and people do this and people treat me this way. Okay, is your honor based off how people treat you or is you living honorably now a part of this new creation that God has, has created in you? Now, Lord, I, I'm gonna live honorably. And look who he says that we should do this to. He says, you, you live honorably among all the Gentiles and do good works. So when they wrong you, you continue to do good deeds. Ephesians chapter two says that we've been saved for these good works that God has prepared beforehand. So they're attacking and you're doing good and they're attacking and you're doing good and they're attacking and we just keep doing these good deeds and they're seeing this contrast. They're like, we're trying to make the church angry. We're trying to get you to hate us. I'm trying to pull you into my fight. And we're like, you want some sweet tea? I mean, you sweet tea drinker, non-sweet? I mean, I'll have to go buy you some non-sweet. I don't make that mess in my house, but I, you know, I'll get you some cookies, what you want? And so we, we're gonna love them and we're gonna live out these good works so that it will point them to the difference in us and it is Christ, it's who God is. So we wanna live, so let me just stop there and ask you, are you, because of Christ and his work in your life, are you now saying, I'm gonna live honorably? Not because of who anyone else is, but because of what Christ has done in my life. Treat me ugly, treat me wrong, do wrong. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honorable. Second, we're not gonna see this, what I think is one of the more difficult parts. Listen to what he says in verse 12, or verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor, as the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. 
For it is God's will, listen, it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people. You ready to know how? By doing good. And taking to your Twitter accounts, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and blasting everybody in sight, name calling them, slandering them, and stepping on them, and then saying, booyah. That's not what the text says. How are we going to silence the ignorance of foolish people? I know how. We're going to beat them in an argument. No, that's not what he says. You want to silence the ignorance of people who are foolish in their way of thinking? You're going to do so by your good works. You're going to keep doing good, and it is going to be so in contrast of who they are in their life that it's going to win them over. Verse, uh, now he says in, in verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Look at that play on word there. He's like, hey, now that you've been freed by Christ, because you have this ultimate freedom, don't use that as a cover-up to do evil and to now go do wrong to people because, man, God's my boss. You ain't gonna tell me what to do. Only God tells me what to do. You're not him, and until you're God, then I'm not listening to you. No, no, that's a cover-up for evil, he says. We don't, we don't use him as a cover-up. We submit to the authorities in our life. Why? Because we've been freed, and we're a slave to God. He is our boss, and because he's our boss, he tells us that we are to love and to submit to those. And then in case you're wondering who that is, because I can see some of you are like, oh yeah, but I'm not gonna do it to this person or this person, they don't deserve it. He says, let me just throw in verse 17. Honor everyone, everybody, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and in case you just don't get the point, he says, honor the emperor. Now, submission is a really difficult word. It's hard because it's not in our physical, natural nature. Uh, it's in our nature, I mean, it's just not there. And as an American people, we're not like, yeah, let's ingrain in the DNA of American submission. Matter any Marines in this place? Like, I mean, are you taught, trained deep down, like we should submit? We get into war, man, what are you taught? Never retreat. Every movie I've ever watched where they're shooting and it's like, baby, we will not back down. And I'm like, boy, and, and I love that stuff. But you know what? Deep down in our DNA, if we're not careful, I mean, these things become ingrained and we're thinking, mm, ah, that, that S word right there, I, I'm not for that. And let me just put it this clear. I bet you as we continue to moan, some of you, you're watching this and you're like, mm, one, I'm not sure that I even agree with what the Bible is saying right now. I'm, I'm struggling even believing any of this. But for some of you, you're not a believer and you're hearing this and you're going, you know what? And that right there is why I'm not a Christian. Like that mode of thinking is so awful and it's so subjugating that I, I'm not even gonna believe this. I'm not even, I'm not gonna, I'm not turning to Jesus. This is such an old, outdated way of thinking that I, I, I'll never follow Jesus because of it. Let me just throw out maybe some of the implications of this in real life. He says to every human authority, we should submit to those authorities that are rightly over us, if we at, at all can. And I'm gonna hit that in just a second. So you got a baseball coach or you got a coach, you should submit to that authority. Are you gonna have a bad coach? If you play sports long enough, you will have a bad coach. Even if your dad is your coach your whole childhood, you're gonna have a bad one at some point. Your dad's not gonna make the right call. He's not gonna fill up the lineup the right way. But what if you have a coach who just doesn't like you? They don't like your smile. They don't like your voice. You just get on their nerves. So you know what they do to you? They put you on the bench. And you're better than every player out there on the field. And your grandparents tell you that every week when they come to watch your game and you don't play. 
you're so much better. That joker, he's out there. He don't even know. He thinks he's in right field and he's in left field. He ran to third instead of first. And so there's all these things going on. And here's what happens. Your parents get in your ear and they're like, you're so much better than them. I don't know why you're not playing. I tell you what, I'm gonna tell that coach something. Maybe instead of us going after coaches, maybe we just say, you know what? Here's the deal. Susie, here's what, here's what we just need to learn. Sometimes in life, you're gonna have a bad coach. Sometimes in life, you're gonna have a bad ball. Sometimes in life, and you know what? Maybe you are way better than them, but maybe this season, what God wants to teach us is that sometimes we get put on the bench whether we deserve it or not, and you are gonna be the best teammate, and you are gonna be the best player, and you are gonna love that coach, and you're gonna love your players even if you're wrong. And you know what? As mom and dad, I'm still gonna be team mom even if my baby don't play. Because you know, immediately after the first game, you saw your child sitting on your bench, you're like, oh no, I done brought bubblegum and sunflower seeds for everybody in here. I done put the whole snack list together for the year and my baby ain't playing, I quit. I'm done. And maybe what God is saying is we, we have an authority problem. Because deep down, we think we can make better decisions than other people. And that authority issue now, oh man, now we're talking about, what, what about a professor? I can tell you, I've lived this. I had a professor that told me, as long as you have that Christian way of thinking, you will not pass my class. You will not pass. I'm like, okay, yes ma'am, I understand that. I knew I had to study harder for that class than any class I took. Every time I showed up, if there was an open-ended question in class, guess who was getting called on? All right, guys, I got a question for you. Everybody's like, get ready, Jacob. I'm like, I know, here we go. So, Mr. Green, what do you have to say about that? Oh, boy, here we go. You know, like, it's gonna be rough. It's the lowest grade I ever made in college. Matter of fact, it's the lowest grade I ever made as a Christian. But I think it's the highest grade I've ever made in my life was in that class. Because God used it to teach me, even when you're being wronged, it is our responsibility to handle how we respond to somebody in that way. So I just said, you've got it. Maybe we're talking about law enforcement. Hey, have you ever gotten a ticket or somebody wronged you that you did not deserve? Yes, I absolutely 100% have. You better believe it. I have had some terrible experiences when it comes to police officers. Now, I will tell you 99% of the tickets that I got, I deserved them. And honestly, it's by the grace of God, I didn't get more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can tell you. But I, have I had bad run-ins? Are there bad police officers out there? Are there bad coaches out there? Are there bad professors and bad teachers? Are there bad parents? But all of them are not that way. So what do we do in the moment when we get the bad one? Well, let me tell you, according to Jesus, we submit to the authority that is there. Well, you don't understand. They put me in handcuffs outside of the car. Yep. Everyone was driving by. I was so embarrassed. Yep. But what if by the way that you love that police officer who is wronging you, with a sinful heart, your love and your grace and your kindness and your submission shows him something different than the way the world responds to it. What if he's trying to invoke anger and hatred and bitterness, but you just keep loving him and showing him something different? You know what I'll tell you what happened? He'll always remember you. He'll always remember that run in where his anger and his bad day carried over and you just continue to show love and grace in the midst of it. You say, well, look here, preacher, I tell you what, I can't be like that. I can't be fake. I'm not fake like that. 
I'm not a fake person and I'm gonna be real. Let me just say this to you. I'm not calling you to be fake. I'm telling you to be real. Jesus says, submit to those authorities because he is our king. We are submitting to him. I don't submit to a teacher because they're my boss. I submit to the teacher because God is my boss. I don't love my or submit to my boss or authority figure because of their goodness, but because of God's goodness. So when they are coming at me, I'm, I'm loving them through Christ like God loved me through Christ. And so we, it's not being fake. It's actually, hopefully, as a Christian, being the most real. And maybe the fakeness side of it is on the Christian side, not your response to them. Because as children of God, this is the response we're called to. Well, you don't understand. He's not my boss. God's my boss. He ain't gonna tell me something. God has told us something. He is telling us to live a life. So insofar as we can, Christians should try to be the model of submitting to our authority. And so we, we, whether they deserve it or not. Now, what about an unjust government? You read the text and we're like, look, it, it gives kind of this inference that this is a, a good emperor who sends out governors to, to judge what is good and bad. So the inference here is like, well, that's if the government is good, but what about if they're bad? Like, what if they are wrong? What do we, what do, we do then? Like, what if, I hear people say it like this. Well, what if I lived in this country where things are like bad and they treat, what if I lived in like China or what if I lived in Russia or what if I lived in this country where they treat people like this own thing? And I'm like, you don't have to live somewhere else to have authority that treats you unjustly or wrongly. Like, we don't need to think that our country's perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we can look within our own. I mean, do you think our country has only had just rulers or just leaders, just presidents, just governors, just judges, just, no way, They're not at all. Do, do you think that there's never been abuses of powers uh, or hatred within our own country? Oh, absolutely there have been, there is. There, so what do we do then? What do we do in our own country? When there's injustice, when there's wrong, based off of wrong things, how do we handle that? Some believe that Peter is writing during a leader named Claudius. I don't think so. I, I think he's writing around 63, 64, and he's writing under a guy named Nero, who is the emperor, who is awful. Nero is, he's a, he took all of his anger and frustration out on Christians. We're talking, he wanted to build a bigger city, so he burned half of it down. He, he kills Christians. He, he's going after, and he's blaming everything on Christ. False accusations against Christians and bringing them into jail falsely and then imprisoning them. And, and Matter of fact, what we do know is that Peter himself is gonna be murdered and hung upside down as a Christian by, by Nero. And the very person he's telling them that they should submit to their authority to is the very man that's gonna take his life. I mean, the very definition of practicing what you preach. And he says, even in this, they're being accused of every type of crime imaginable. And he's saying, if we can't submit to God while we submit to our own authority, then we should, then we, maybe we, we should just disobey and accept the consequences to it. So what does that mean in our own country? That there are times that we are gonna disobey our country because our country would cause us to disobey God. I mean, there's tons of examples of this. Think about uh, the Hebrew midwives where they're gonna murder every newborn boy and, and the ladies are like, no way, and they put Moses in a basket and send him down the stream. You think about Daniel, where they passed a law that said, you can't pray. And Daniel's like, yeah, right. I'm going right up to my balcony, wide open for God and everybody to see. And he prayed. And he says, all right, you're gonna be arrested, thrown in the lion's den. He's like, all right, sounds good. 
Was he ugly? Was he mean? Did he take to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, bash everybody, start a movement? No, let me tell you what he did. He humbly but boldly stood for his faith and was willing to pay the crime and the punishment of what they viewed as a crime. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody out there, they said, when we play the music, you're gonna bow your knee to this king. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. To obey that law would be to disobey God. He alone is God. I can't bow to anybody. So everybody bows down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, all right. Well, that was kind of weird. You know, we're standing here. Everybody's looking at him. And they're like, ooh, like middle school. You know, ooh, look what they did. They did wrong. Look at these guys. So the king comes down. He's like, no, sir, this ain't gonna work. Every knee's gonna bow to me or you're gonna be thrown in that furnace right there. And they, they turned it up so hot that even the people that made it burning, they died because it was that hot. Now, I right, played the music. They're gonna bow now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just stood right there and said, you know what? We were, we're, we're not gonna obey your law to disobey God. We're just willing to die for that. Did they fight them? Did they grab swords in a movement? Did they do all these things? Nope, you know what they did? I said, okay, let's go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fire and Jesus stood right there in the midst with them and even their hair did not smell like a burn mark. There will, hear me, I fully believe that without something crazy happening, it will most likely be a time in my lifetime where for me to preach the word of God will be against the law in some form and I will pay the price for that. He's called me to do it. He's told me. He's commanded me to do that. So at that point, it will be a choice. Do I disobey God or do I disobey the laws of the land? I'm always gonna follow God. But as so much as we can, we should submit to the authorities that are here. And so we submit unless we can't submit. So look what he says in verse 16. Look what he says in verse 16. He says that we are free Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Because I've been freed by Christ, now I'm gonna choose to submit even when they are wrong, even when they're doing wrong. I'm not using it as a cover but as God's slaves, as him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor everyone. I'm gonna do my best uh, to honor and to love. So let's talk about this honor. Let's talk about honor. What does it look like to honor everyone? Verse 17 says, love the brothers and sisters, fear God and honor the emperor. He says, do this in, out of fear of God. This is like this awestruck wonder of God. He says, ultimately, let, humble yourself in how you treat other people. And I think this is a big point. Peter is ultimately saying, even honor the emperor like everyone else. We do not honor the government because it's God, but because God is God, we're gonna honor those leaders who are there in our life. We do not have to agree with everyone to honor them. I believe this is one of the greatest travesties of our time is that we feel like people have to agree with us. And if you feel like people have to agree with you, then you are making yourself God. People don't have to agree with you. You're not God. He alone is God. He is the perfect judge. He is gonna hold everyone accountable. So this whole crusade that we have to like, no, you have to believe, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. And then, no, we have to be able to have conversations with people who think different than us, who don't believe us, that listen to this sermon and think I'm an insane person. I still love you, let's have coffee. I'll probably drink a Pepsi and have a Krispy Kreme donut twice dipped in that icing, it's so good. But look, we can talk and disagree and I'll still love you. We can absolutely, see, because we are, we're raising 
a, a, a people group that think that we have to absolutely agree the same way. And if you don't agree with me, then I will not show you honor. I will not respect you. Look, I, I 100% disagree with times that our Supreme Court has ruled in certain things. 100% disagree. I've disagreed with a lot of their decisions, but I can still show them honor. N- not because of who they are, but because of who God is. Look, I, I've, I've disagreed with so many things presidents have said and done, and with social media, it's like way more now. Completely have disagreed with what they said, what they've done in our, our country. There, we allow for transitions of power to take place. It's like nowhere else in the world. So in my lifetime, there are going to be presidents, if God allows me to live for a long time, that I agree with and I disagree with. But I'm gonna raise my children to show them honor and to pray for them, not because of who they are, but because of who God is. And when Christians begin to pick and choose who we show honor to, then what we're showing is that we have a narrow belief in who God is to us. If you take the social media and, well, I'm gonna bash this person, and what, why would anybody who agrees with them now want to follow the Jesus that we follow? We've harmed the ability to win them to Christ. So we don't honor people because they're honorable. Honor is placing value on somebody, and people have value because they are created in the image of God. They're an image bearer of God. And so we show honor because God is honorable. He doesn't hold back here. He says, honor all. Y'all, you don't understand. That person don't deserve my honor and respect. Guess what? Neither do we. We don't deserve God's honor and respect, yet he still came and died for us. The world says you honor those who honor you. You're a sucker if you show honor to those who dishonor you. No, that's just being in exile. Just being an ex, I was just being somebody that lives not of this world. We love and we show honor because it's what we experienced in Jesus Christ. So, what do you do when somebody does not love you or honor you or respect you or give you dignity because of your gender or the color of your skin or because of your job or because of your title? Let me tell you what you do you throw them off by loving them and loving them and loving them and hoping that through your love, And through your good works, they see something different and they come to know Jesus as Savior and love through it. Do they deserve it? Nope, just like we don't. But Jesus shows us that. So it is about the glory of God, not our own glory. It's about his. Secondly, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. Now, if you thought this first part was countercultural enough, this next part goes a whole nother level. Jesus, let me just kind of give you what, this whole thing's about to be, and then I'll get into it. What this whole passage right now that we're about to read is about is that Jesus suffered the ultimate injustice so that we could be saved. As a Christian, there will be a time where you suffer injustice, but he wants us to suffer it well and for people to see Jesus in the way that we handle injustice when it has been pointed to us. Now look how he words this in verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Now, it's almost impossible to read this and not get tripped up. I've read this more times than I can admit this week, making sure 
that are just rightly handling the word of God. Let me give you a few ways that a passage like this can trip you up. This is one of the passages that people use to say that slavery was okay, that pastors use to say that slavery was okay. And it's why I think we need to bring it up now, and we're just preaching through First Peter. That's why I like to preach through books. You just preach the full counsel of God, and when we get to it, we get to it. And can y'all believe we're getting to this text right now? So let's talk about the sovereignty of God and some things that might trip us up as we think about this text. First of all, you read it, and you're like, all right, what is it talking about? The Bible just said, did the Bible just say somebody could be beaten? Does it say here that he's, he's using this example as if it's okay or justified to beat somebody? Like, that's awful justice. Let me just stop you here. He's using an example of wrongdoing. He's actually saying, you are gonna be wronged. And here's an example of how you could be wronged. And I wanna show you how the gospel calls you to handle it, even in wrongdoing. So anyone that would justify slavery or treating anyone as lesser than, this is an example of what is bad and how we respond to something that is bad. Now, a second part of that, just in general, normally people who talk about that talk about it as if our justice system is perfect. And our justice system, it is just not. I mean, it's not, you can just do your own study on some of our, we do not have a perfect system. It will not be perfect till we get to heaven. But in the midst of a broken system, there are things that I hope we continue to reform and change and improve and God blesses and it's for his glory. In the midst of though, an imperfect system, how do, what is he meaning here by household slave and a master? Like, I mean, that's like bad language. That, that needs, that's like not politically correct. We need to kind of reword some of those things. So I'm gonna hit that in just a second. Secondly, I think what's really difficult for us is it's almost impossible to not read this passage through the American experience. We see our America's past into this text. But the context of what's happening here, we have to go to what's actually happening there to understand what Peter is saying to them so that we can build a right bridge from them to us. So let's talk about what Peter is saying. In every people group ever, from the beginning of time, all of recorded history, every peoples had slaves. All the way back to as far as we can find, you will not find a single people group anywhere in the world that did not have slaves. It is human nature sinfully to dominate other people to make themselves feel elevated. And it's been there for thousands upon thousands of years. And it was only until about 200 years ago when Christians began to step up and say, this is not right, this is not healthy, this is not good all over the world that now we live in a world where the idea of slavery is bad or wrong or not good. People have been enslaved of every ethnicity, every people type all over the world. And so what we cannot do is to superimpose America's version onto what's happening. What is happening here is what maybe we would correlate to maybe like a bond servant or uh, indentured servitude. Somebody would get in debt and they couldn't pay it. So then what do you do? They didn't have a banking system like what we have now. You owe me X amount of you know, cattle or X amount of land or X amount of work and now you're not doing it. So here's what's gonna happen you are gonna now be enslaved to me for this amount of time to come and work and to pay off that debt. Or you broke the law and you've done wrong, so now you're gonna be enslaved for this amount of time. Now let me tell you how this is different then than what we have known in the American experience of what slavery is. Now for them, it was not based off the color of your skin. Slavery had nothing to do with skin color. You could be enslaved no matter 
who you are, what you look like. It was just based off of, it was based off your wrongdoing or sometimes people actually wanted this. It was actually for some people who were in poverty situations, they, they wanted to be a bondservant because it gave them food, it gave them clothing, it gave them shelter. So they would be so poor, they're like, hey, let me, let me be your bond slave. I would, let me have this because otherwise I have nothing. And so sometimes they would actually take on uh, these indentured servitudes and, and so they would want that. Now, it was also not based on your whole life. You were not allowed to take somebody their entire lifespan and say, now you're enslaved for X amount. And it was also not generational, meaning you, you wouldn't pass it on. And so now you might do something bad as parents and not have the money and then your child would have to take that position. But it would not be for their whole life and their children would not have to take the position. Very different from the, uh, the gross uh, version of what we saw in American history. So what we think about though and what's happening here is he's saying, hey, this is an awful way of something that could happen to you. So what should you do in the midst of that? He says, in the very best you can, if you can endure it, do your best to endure it for the glory of God. If you've done wrong and you're beaten, well, you know, if you do the crime, then you have to pay the time of that. But if you've done nothing wrong and you still endure it in a way that, you know, you're trying to do your best to not fight them or show anger or malice or bitterness, like that's different. Man, every other person that they've beaten has shown rebellion or anger and now they're trying to love them. Like, why would you do that? Now, as we think through this and what, what we have, you need to understand that Peter is not saying that this is good, but here is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that we should do our very best when we are treated in the most gross of ways to display the glory of God because of what God has done to us. And so when we think about this, I'll make sure you hear me clearly. This does not mean as Christians that we should just put our head down when things are wrong or bad. We have a, a way that we can go about fighting injustice and we should do that. I want you to think of it like Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel. They have done nothing like wrong and now they're in jail. And instead of fighting, instead of trying to do all these other, we're gonna bust up out of here. Hey, you wait till God gets word of this. Like you're a dead man. Instead of doing all of that, what's Paul and Silas doing? Man, they're singing to the Lord. They're worshiping God. Do you think every person in that jail heard them singing to the Lord? Do you think that jailer saw them singing to God? They're like, why aren't you angry? Why aren't you mad? He knew they did nothing wrong. And so he's gotta be watching this. And then all of a sudden in their worship, here comes an earthquake. I mean, an earthquake happens and they're freed to go. Now, let's be honest. What would you do if you were wrongfully in prison and you're singing to God and an earthquake happens and you're free to leave? Don't lie. God has heard my prayers, boy. Time to get up out of here. Yes, Lord. But they knew that if they did that, that jailer, he's getting ready to kill himself because if he loses prisoners, then he would, be, he would die. So he has a sword ready to kill himself. And, and Paul and Silas say, no, 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 no. Why are you doing that? Well, because if y'all escape, then I'm dead. He says, we haven't escaped. We're still right here. In their freedom, they chose to stay so that this man might have the freedom of Christ. They gave up their freedom and they continued to endure pain and suffering if it meant this man could know Christ as Savior and Lord. This is the example of what Peter is using. He is saying as exiles, even when we're being wronged, we wanna do our very best to live for the glory of God. Why? Because it's about the gospel. Oh, it's about the glory of God. Are you honoring or undermining? 
What about your parents, your coaches, your teachers? Are you showing them respect? How good of a citizen are you living in a broken world? We don't work for our boss, we work for the Lord. We don't submit to our parents because they're always right. We submit to our parents as unto God, as worship. But it's also about the gospel. Look at verse 21 as we close. He says, for you were called to this. Why would we be called to this? He says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Peter is quoting Isaiah here. And he's saying, Jesus, the perfect righteous one, he, had, he suffered the greatest injustice. He was beaten. He was murdered. He did all of this so that we could receive the righteousness in Christ. And like him, we are in a broken world. And we are going to experience things that we, sh- we do not deserve. You don't deserve it. Yet, like Christ, we can turn those things into the hands of Christ and say, we're going to do this the right way. In a way that honors God and is for his glory. And the only reason we can do that is because of the gospel. You say, well, you don't understand. Let me just, everyone listen to what I'm about to say because I fully intend to have tons of messages this week and emails this week and so I want everyone to hear me. I know one of the objections to this sermon will be, yeah, of course you would say this as a white man who is teaching a, a, a teaching to keep people in subjection. And what I would tell you is that everything the world has tried has not worked. Everything the world has tried to bring about their freedom and their satisfaction and their joy has not worked. And you're exactly right. I absolutely am trying to teach you a a message from God about how to subject ourselves to the authority and the power of God. Because in him, there is freedom. In him, there is joy. In him, there is satisfaction. It'll never happen in this world. And I don't care what color of skin you have. I don't care what your background is, what your poverty is, or or any of those things. God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you, to give you ultimate freedom and an opportunity to no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus submitted to death so that you and I can live freely, and nobody can take the freedom that I've been given in Christ Jesus. You can take my earthly freedoms. You can take my life. You can take my job. You can take my clothes. You can take all of those things, but you can never take the freedom that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let anybody take your freedom. Our world will do all kinds of things and ultimately it will be to enslave you in their system. But Jesus freed us from that system so that we could live independently and freed of that. Maybe you're not a believer. And you're watching this, probably haven't watched this whole sermon because I've gone way over and you've watched it later. And you're saying, man, there's just no way. There's no way that's the type of life that is a life worth living. And what I wanna tell you is just, just keep watching. Come hang out at our church. Continue to watch our services and be around the people of God. And watch how we love people of every background, skin color, and across the way because that's what Jesus has done in us. 
You wanna see real reform and real change? It starts at the foot of the cross. That's where that freedom and transitions and changes will come in our culture. So where do we go from here? It starts with us deciding, Lord, I wanna live a life for your glory, and it's found in the gospel.